When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of Defense with DC, we're going to talk about a number of details of, of the defensive side of the ball, talking space, tackling, leverage, zero pressures, and how you play your corners, gap alignment, and fixing issues, among other things. And joining me as he does every week, USFL, Michigan Panthers defensive coordinator Dan Carroll. Dan was an exciting weekend of football. I know the game we talked about last week, one we both watched, and Certainly quite a bit of what we're going to pull from today is from that game. Yeah, great games all over the place over the weekend. Rivalry weekend did not disappoint. So, uh, yeah, excited to talk a little bit of uh, about the game. Yeah, there was, you know, you look early on, some big plays. And when you look at those big plays, I wouldn't necessarily say there were coverage busts as much as some technique busts and, and the first one comes to mind is a, a very good call by Michigan to throw underneath on a, a guy who's pressed bail with no help over the top and a tackle broken and it gets to the end zone yeah I mean I think when you're looking at big plays from a defensive perspective the, the big plays typically don't come when there's a major structural issue or you're in some really bad call like one guy out of a gap in man coverage can result in a big play. And that's happened a few times with, in this game, right? So I think the big thing is to realize that whether whether the ball goes for three yards or goes for 30 yards, a guy who can't get to his gap for whatever reason, I mean, maybe he's misaligned or maybe the offensive line just does a nice job, whatever the case is, I think that you have to understand just because it went for three yards, the next one can go for 30. So the result of the play should not dictate the urgency you have to fix the problem. I think sometimes we fall into that and it's, you know, a D, a D tackle makes a great play and everybody on the sideline, I've seen it. I've been a part of it. I've done it. And it's, it, you know, it's unfortunate when I think about it, but, you know, a D tackle tears off a block and rips down, a, rips down the line and makes a tackle for minus one. And then you turn on the tape and, and if that, if he didn't make that incredible play, there was nobody in the B gap and the ball was going to be skating through the secondary, you know, for at least a 15 yard game before we could get it down. And, you know, we're on the sideline cheering, but the reality is it shouldn't have happened, right? They should have been cheering. And we just happened to make a a great play. I think as a coach, like it's important for us to never rely on somebody making a great play. You know, I've talked about here before, the fortunate experience to coach Ed Oliver as, as a, as a college player, he won the Outland Trophy as a G5 player. And, you know, he he erased a lot of problems for us at times. I mean, there was just things that he could do. And, you know, so maybe if he gets hurt or doesn't, you know, he's not in for a series, you, you start to realize deficiencies that you didn't realize before. But as a coach, it's so important that you're out in front of those problems and that you're treating them as problems. And, and I think it's easy sometimes to get caught up in people making great plays, people making TFLs, and, and, and all the things that come with having good players. And, and, you know, you want to feel good about the fact that you develop those guys and they're making those plays. But 
that doesn't mean that there wasn't an issue on the play that needs to be fixed. And, you know, we got to stay in a coaching mode when those things happen and just make sure we're fixing the problems that are eventually going to lead to big plays. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And a lot of this goes to what's everybody watching, right? What's your staff watching? Are they being disciplined with their eyes and where they're supposed to be? And not getting wrapped up, and it's tough. I mean, it's an emotional game, especially you think of the games this past weekend. It's tough, but you, you've got a job to do, and it has nothing to do with emotions. You need to be saying, hey, you know, the end wasn't in his gap, and you get that fixed when you get to the sidelines, right? So I think there's a, a, a lot of ways to get that done and how you delegate those responsibilities, but they need to be delegated and you need to have a plan of what to do with that information to be able to make those adjustments on the sidelines, right? I, I look at the high school level now and being able to do that uh, in pretty much every state except Texas. I think there might be one other. But being able to use the sideline replay, I mean, that's something you have to take advantage of and see those things. You don't want to, as you said, miss those and turn it on on, on you know, Saturday morning and say, shoot, this – we thought this was a good play, and then look what they did when they hit, you know, did this again, right? And it hit us and it hurt us, as you said. So uh, having the discipline, because this is what I'm assigned to do, this is what I need to watch, uh, making sure I communicate it clearly so it gets fixed, all those things really fall on the part of the coach. Yeah, it's just such a vital part of what we do in in-game coaching. I mean, I, I think that they can't, you can't emphasize that enough. I know there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of different philosophies and in the direction that coaching is going and, and who gets, you know, jobs, all these things. But just the in-game coach and the, is the value of, of what you're able to do in the game, what you can see, how much you can get adjusted on the sideline, get fixed. And we talked about a lot on here, just building a system that allows you to make those adjustments for one. But, you know, it, it also comes down to figuring out what you're going to get. I mean, if you think about just from a run game perspective, just thinking about Michigan's offense, they, they majored in two different plays, right? They majored in, in really in two plays. And they had other plays, don't get me wrong, but they majored in two plays. And it's just like we've got to make sure when we see that these two plays are coming up a lot, we got to make sure that we're going to be sound versus, you know, in all our calls versus these things and, and realize this is how they've chose to attack us today. And, and that's what we got to be, be ready for as it keeps going. So I think that the big plays, the biggest thing I can say about big plays is you can't treat the – the, the issue, the deficiency, or wherever you, you your error, your bust, whatever you call it, you can't treat it different because the ball went for 30 versus the ball goes for three. Right? You've got to make sure you're fixing those problems regardless of the outcome of the play. Well, looking at this particular play, as we mentioned, going back to it, this is an issue of space tackling. So I know you had some coaching points for us in that regard. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit of an issue on both sides, especially early for Michigan and then a little bit later for Ohio State. But, you know, the issue with tackling in space to me, and we don't get to tackle in space as often as we probably did 10, 15, 20 years ago in practice. And so we always have to come up with creative ways to recreate these scenarios. But the thing that you notice is guys that are losing leverage. Right. Losing leverage and not knowing what you're leveraging it to, right? You got to, if the ball is outside the numbers generally in college football and you're in the corner and the ball is out leveraged you to the sideline, it is you, him, and the sideline. And you cannot take a shot that doesn't push this guy out of bounds. If you got to give up an extra three, eight, 10, 12 yards to make sure that you are able to trap this guy onto the sideline, you've got to be able to do that. 
And I saw you see a few times with both teams that the ball gets out there, it out leverages the guy who's going to be able to make the tackle, whether it's the corner out there or whether it's the number two receiver and the number one receiver ran the corner off and it's the nickel or you know whoever was over two. And you, you have to understand where your help is. And if you have no physical help, that you're going to use the sideline. And when you're playing man, and even, even when you're not playing man, a lot of times in secondary, there's not going to be somebody else for a long time. So we've got to make sure that we're playing with the right leverage to get the ball on the ground and, and get it get it down, get it out of, of bounds if that's the case. But I just felt like a lot. If you look at some of those big plays, a lot of them are just bad leverage. And you know, when you you think about, we'll talk about hitch tackle a little bit later. But always a man to man. That's always something that's a concern, right? Even in, even in the quarters or cover three, hitch tackle is always a concern. And you know you, you've got to work it. And it is a little bit of a different tackle technique, in my opinion. I think you want to be coming inside out, but it is a more of a technique. I want to come inside out, but I want to attack the outside portion of the body. It is almost like a head across tackle. And I know I don't really teach it that way anymore. I don't really teach tackling like head across. I think that's kind of an older school way and it's made probably not even as good. But like what happens is when you come from inside out and you don't have enough presence across the bow, you know, like you saw in this game, they were able to break the tackle and then get the sideline back. So Hitch tackle is an art. It is a great tool that you have to coach over and over and over again because especially in any coverage, I mean, especially any one high coverage, be it man or be it cover three, you're going to be in those situations a lot. And, you know, if you play off corners or if you bail, you're going to be in those situations a lot. And you have to be able to, you know, to make those plays turn into second and six and not, you know, first and 10 after a 27-yard gain. So I think the hitch tackle is really important, but just generally tackling in space and playing with leverage and understanding that the yards you give up when a ball squirts into the secondary, the yards aren't as important as it is making sure the ball gets down. Right? And I think some of the angles you see Ohio State taking the game feels like that the players are playing with the urgency to, you know, I don't want to let this ball get down the field, get down the field. I'm going to take an angle. And then, you know, some of those angles is the Michigan players are able to outrun. And, you know, if you could take it back, well, obviously you would give up nine more yards to get the guy on the ground as opposed to, letting him go for 60, right? So I think you have to understand that part of, of what the expectation is when the ball squirts into the secondary. What what do we, as coaches, as players, what do what needs to happen? And the only thing that needs to happen is we need to keep it out of the end zone. Looking at this game, there was quite a bit of man from the Ohio State defense, and you know, a key in playing great man technique is having eye discipline. So coaching points in that regard and some of the things that you saw in this game. Yeah, you know, Michigan played a, a decent amount of it too, especially early on. You have to play with with great vision and, and burn your eyes on your key when you're playing in man coverage. I mean, I think the reality is that, that is a harder thing to coach with younger players now, man coverage or not. I mean, I think from a run game perspective, coaching linebackers and coaching safeties, it is hard for whatever reason to get guys to just burn their eyes on their key and not be distracted by the other things going on in the game and get them to trust their key. You know, see your key, trust your key, burn your eyes on it. And you know, be be ready. And you saw some yeah, Ohio State on the one play it was an out and up, I think, by the tight end. And the, the safety that was covering him actually was in a really good position. And then right as the out cut went, eyes went back to the quarterback. You see on tape a little bit of separation, and the ball gets caught and goes down the sideline. And just training your eyes. You know, I talk about one of the foundations of defense is outwork the offense. And you know, the three ways that you do that pre-snap is you communicate better in the offense you get aligned with more urgency 
and you have better vision. You burn your eyes on your key better than the offense. You got to be the best eyes team in the stadium, right? We got to be better at putting our eyes where they are than the offense is. And, you know, the reality is you can do that 65 out of 68 plays and those three that you don't can get you, right? So I just, I noticed that a couple of times, especially on double moves that DBs think that, okay, He's breaking inside. That's good. I know where he's going now. I got a feel for that. I can take my eyes on the quarterback and see if the ball's coming. And then once you do that, then the second part of the move comes, and now it's real trouble. So, you know, especially just training those DBs to have the discipline, to burn my eyes on my key. I don't need to know where the ball is. The ball will be – tell me where the ball is when they put their hands up, or I'll know when, you know, at some point when the route is definitely dispersed where it's going to go. So I think it just – the eyes, coaching eyes in the run game, in the pass game, especially in man coverage, especially with guys that got run fits off tight ends and off, you know, offensive linemen, that just eye discipline is so important in the game and just really getting your players to, to put their eyes where they got to be is, just shows up at every level of football. I know you had a – before we got going, you said a, I think it's a great coaching point that if, if you're playing corner and man or you're playing man, if you see it thrown, you're going to see it caught. Yeah, and so, I mean, the oldest coaching point in man coverage that everybody has probably heard, if you see it thrown, you're going to see it caught, right? So, you know, as you're covering guys, as you're moving, you know, guys are doing a great job of footwork and moving laterally and offhand jams and all those things. But once the ball, you know, once the route is dispersed, if you're not truly in phase and defining what in phase means for your corners, for your safeties, right, what does it mean to truly be in phase? There's no looking for the ball. I mean, guys have a tendency to do that. And as soon as you start looking for the ball, you're going to see it caught because the separation. Because if the corner, if the wideout's not looking for the ball, the tight end, he's running harder with his head down. He's going to start separating, right? And then you're going to whip your head back. He's going to be three yards further away from you than you thought. And there it is, catch. And then hopefully you're able to make the tackle. So I know it's an old adage. It's probably been around. It was probably in hotline to victory somewhere. But <laughs> you get thrown, you're going to see it caught. And I think that just that is something that, you know, players need to understand. Going right along with this, you've seen a lot of man. You're going to see a lot of pressure, and Ohio State played quite a bit of zero pressure in this game. Yeah, when they when they went zero, I found a couple things interesting. It was one of those touchdowns. It was off a hitch that, that broke. It really was a couple interesting things. Number one is I don't tend to play corners pressed in zero coverage because what happens in zero sometimes is the ball can get through. I know you're blitzing. I know you're, you you got a plan to take the dive and take the quarterback. I, I get all that, and I've, we've all been there. But all it takes is one guy out of his gap because there's not a lot of off-the-ball players. Right? There's a safety maybe that has the tight end or something, and he's at eight or whatever. But there's just not a lot of off-the-ball players. So I've typically played corners off and off-man in that. So, But Ohio State was interesting was they had one corner pressed bail, and we'll get back to that second, and the other corner pressed. And now the pressed bail corner, I would imagine that they thought they were going to get a hitch out or a fade out there, and that's why they're going to press bail, right? Or we'll press, we'll make them convert their hitches to fades, their free access hitches to fades, and then we'll bail and stay on top of it. However, Michigan figured it out, they still threw a hitch into the press bail, right? They still got what they wanted. So what happened was we're bailing off and inside, and then we throw the hitch out there, and now we got to put our foot in the ground, come back, execute a hitch tackle without our cleats in the ground, right? Because it's from a bail position. And now we got to execute a hitch tackle and, you know, miss a tackle and it, it goes for a, a long one. So I just thought that, you know, if you're going to play zero, if you're going to run zero pressures, especially, I mean, obviously we're not talking, you know, where, they, where most of your zero pressures come from is, you know, low red goal line stuff. We're not talking that, obviously. We're just talking about, 
you know, up the field zeros, especially on non short yardage situations where they're going to run the ball. Like you're talking second to six, second to seven. If you want to run zero pressures in those situations, you want to really play the corners off with their cleats in the ground. So you can a execute a hitch tackle. If that's what happens or B be able to get some type of vice on the ball. If it squirts, right. It's the same situation we were just talking about. It's not about, you know, at that point, if you call this on second and four and they run inside zone and somehow it gets out, we're not talking about trying to keep them from getting a first down. We're talking about getting the ball on the ground so we can play the next down. And I just I thought it was interesting, A, that they were pressed, and I thought it was even more interesting that in a press bail situation, Michigan was still able to throw, you know, a quick hitch out there and um, you know, really called their bluff on it, I guess. So either a really good job by the quarterback or, you know, Michigan's coaches might have been one of those no-no, yes-yes scenarios by the Michigan coaching staff probably watching it. But uh, it really worked out in their favor, no doubt. So just zero pressure. Create some depth to your defense by playing your corners off, especially with their cleats in the ground. If you want to bail it, that's fine, but they need to bail back and get set a little bit so they can play off man and uh, you know have a chance to to give you some of that uh, ability to cap the defense off if something happens. And then the last thing you looked at was gap alignment, and you saw some things there, some great coaching points. I think that you'd like to bring up. Yeah, you know, later in the game, it kind of goes back to our big play discussion there weren't major issues. There was a guy here and there out of his gap. And what you saw later in the game in the fourth quarter, you know, one of the plays that Michigan ran pretty consistently was the counter sweep where it's sweep to the back and it's the OT counter coming back for the quarterback. If, you know, if he wants to keep it and they really in the fourth quarter didn't call that as often. It was really a straight zone game in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I think it's so important to be what I would call zone aligned, right? You have an offset back. You want to be zone aligned. So we want to cheat all of our alignments based on where the zone is heading. So if I'm a three technique and I'm to the back, I'm the tightest three technique I can get, right? If I'm a three technique and I'm away from the back, I'm playing a three technique from basically like a four eye, right? I'm going to come back hard and, and smoke that thing and make sure I don't get reached, that type of thing. So, you know, those type of, of adjustments are really important, you know, especially the way the backfield was set up for Michigan for the two kind of main plays they were running. It wasn't, wasn't going to hurt them either way. And what you see is like, if you got a backer who's supposed to play the B gap, especially you're in one gap defense, you're in one high, one gap defense, and he's supposed to be the B gap player and the back's away. If you align him in a 30, the B gap is going to have out leveraged him immediately. Right. So it's like we have to put those guys in a situation to play downhill, to play vertical through their gaps and not be running laterally to try to catch up to their gap. And uh, one of them was off of a pressure. So it's a little different when you think of it that way. But the, the backer's got to understand he's got to get in that gap at all costs, right? And he's running, they're like running across pressure and the front side backer punctures the A and the backside backer tries to come around and he just never makes it to the B and the ball squirts. That was the one that was like the first play of the drive went for, I don't know, 70 some. And so that, that was difficult, right? It's, you have to get the guy across there. And, you know, the other thing that, that can happen is when you're playing, you know, you're playing the shade, sometimes they're playing a the shade away from the back, which, which is okay, but the guard would lean back and knock the shade into the A-gap before he went to the backer. Now, again, the issue with this is when you play the backer tighter, that guard feels like he has time to lean back, knock the A-gap player into the other A-gap, and then go to the backer. Right? If you play him wider, he does that, and you're blitzing him, then that guy's gonna be, your backer's going to be standing in the backfield because right? the guard, guard leaned back on a shade. So you got to understand when you're in a zone game, there's people who are really good at running zone. Like their line calls and where those guys, where the linemen are going to go, is going to be based on where you're aligned and where you can threaten quickly. So if I'm 
head up on the guard or if I'm in the 30 and they're running zone to me to an open B gap, the guard does not have to have urgency to come to me. It does not, right? And now if I'm in a 50 and I'm, I'm wide out there and the zone's coming to me, if I plug the B gap, if he leans back on an A gap player and I plug the B gap, I might be unblocked to the back. So he's got to have a little more urgency. So those, those little alignment adjustments are going to dictate kind of how the guards and the offensive line got to play. I know there's always a lot of talk about taking gaps and pulling double teams off and that type of thing. But just by alignment, the threat of taking the gap can, can make the double team softer. So Or it can make it a hell of a lot harder. Right, if you're aligned, stacked behind the guy, that they're going to double. They, you know, they can lay on him. You know, 600 pounds on 300 pounds, and they can lay on him a lot harder. So, you know, those subtle alignment changes in the box that make definitely make a difference when you're trying to stop the run. Well, a lot of little details today, and I think those things apply to every defense, and it's kind of what we looked at this year. Try to point some things out in some games. We have championship weekend coming up here, and some big games here. We'll pull some ideas from those and, and then do a preview of the Bulls. And uh, we'll wrap up by talking about what's next here for defense with D.C. So, Dan, nice job preparing these, as you always do, and definitely look forward to talking about these championship games next week. I appreciate that, Keith. I think uh, championship weekend shaping up to be pretty fun and, and interesting. And I know that uh, you know at least one thing you know is all the games are going to be good, right? turn the TV on and you're not going to have to watch something that, uh, you know, gets out of hand typically and a lot of highly competitive games and should be an exciting weekend for everybody.